Well, good morning, everybody. Please turn in your Bible, if you have one, to Acts chapter 8. This morning we're looking at eight, uh, chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Continuing a series, we began this back, I think, in January, uh, through this wonderful book of Acts. And the title I've given to this morning's message is Ready with the Good News. Ready with the Good News. On the 14th of April this year, which was just over a week ago, George Verwer, the founder of Operation Mobilization, died at the age of 84. And his obituary that was published in Christianity Today began with a story from his teenage years. It read like this, George Verwer had a question. When the 18-year-old and his friend finished praying in a dorm room in Maryville, Tennessee, Verwer looked at his college buddy and asked, well, are you ready to go? His friend was startled. He'd only just heard Verwer's idea that they should sell what they owned and use the money to buy a truck that summer, fill it with Spanish language editions of the Gospel of John, and drive it to Mexico, where 70% of people didn't have access to scriptures. They had only just prayed about it. George, he said, it takes longer than that. Verwer didn't see why it should. The future founder of Operation Mobilization, OM, saw a spiritual need. They could meet that need. The rest didn't matter to him. His one all-consuming passion in life was to be a channel whereby people would become long-term friends of Jesus. That lifelong fervor for missions moved untold numbers of Christians to cross borders, cultures, and continents to proclaim the good news of God's love. And it all began with a simple question. Are you ready to go? Now, though we're certainly not all called to go in quite the same way that George Verwer was, one thing that's been really clear so far throughout the book of Acts is that we are all called to be Jesus' witnesses, even if it's a call to go right where we are in our everyday lives. And just as much as we've seen the gospel in this book spreading through the bold preaching of the apostles and, and backed up by the miracles that they were performing, we've also equally heard that it's spreading like wildfire amongst everyday Christians, through everyday Christians, and their conversational witness to other people. But interestingly, so far in Acts, I don't think we've been shown a close-up example of that more regular, everyday conversational evangelism. It's been going on, but we haven't been shown it in close-up until that is today. Because here in our passage this morning, we're going to see God leading Philip. We met him again last week. See him leading Philip to meet one particular individual, a stranger who is himself engaged in a very ordinary activity. He's traveling on a long journey, and kids, you can especially relate to this, uh, and he's reading a book along the way. This is the first passage in Acts to zoom in on such a personal evangelistic encounter. But in doing so, it also shines a spotlight onto us and onto the importance of our being ready for similar everyday encounters like this as well. So this morning, I want to highlight three aspects of Philip's gospel readiness that we can learn from and practice ourselves to help us reach people in everyday conversations for Jesus. 
First of all, we're going to see that he was ready to be led to people. Secondly, he was ready to start a conversation. Thirdly, he was ready to talk about Jesus. That's our three simple headings this morning. First of all, ready to be led to people. Look down at verse 26. And uh, this is just after Philip is in Samaria, just after the events of last week. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Now, the first thing to say about this encounter is that God's fingerprints are all over it. They're everywhere. God's sovereign initiative is visible at every single turn. First of all, this angel directs Philip to witness about Jesus in a most unlikely place, uh, on a desert road at least 100 miles away from where he'd just been involved in some very successful ministry. Then the Holy Spirit instructs him to approach one particular moving chariot. And it just so happens that in that chariot at that time is a man who's already reading from the Scriptures. And from that man's point of view on the chariot, at the very moment he's reading and puzzling over Isaiah 53... God just so happens to send a complete stranger running sort of alongside the chariot there on the road who can explain to him what he's reading. And as soon as this man as well believes Philip's message and puts his faith in Jesus, they just so happen to come across some water where he can be baptized. God's initiative is everywhere in this account, which means for Philip, this is a divine appointment that God himself has put in Philip's diary. God has set up this encounter. And as we sit here and survey it this morning, we read it, we think about it, we might well respond with uh, justified awe and amazement at such a providential chain of events, little realizing that in fact we too still live in a world where God is still sovereign And where he is still providentially ruling over every detail of our lives. And that therefore, divine appointments also await us on a regular basis as well. None of our interactions with people on on an ordinary day are ever entirely by accident. All around us, God is preparing opportunities for us each day to engage in conversations where we can be his witnesses. Whether it's with a neighbor, or a colleague, or a family member, or a complete stranger. God was, and is, and always will be a God of divine appointments and providential encounters. Opportunities for witnessing are all around us. But let's get practical here. Most of us, I think, unless we... um, keep ourselves locked away or perhaps you you, you work at home a lot most of us probably encounter tens if not hundreds of people on any given day and of course all of these people they need the gospel but we also have many other daily tasks to do other responsibilities that God calls us to faithfully fulfill and not neglect 
We can't stop and talk to everyone we might pass on the street. So how are we to know who in particular we might be able to have a, a particularly fruitful, providential conversation with? Well, the second thing that's strongly emphasised in these opening verses is the leading of the Holy Spirit. Yes, God ordained for this encounter to happen between Philip and the eunuch, but in order to get Philip there, God had to lead him. Now, granted, in this case, the initial thing, of course, that gets Philip journeying all the way down south of Samaria, past Jerusalem, this is like a hundred-mile journey, onto this desert road. To get him there, he has to have a direct encounter with an angel of the Lord. And that, that's something pretty uncommon, even in the book of Acts. That doesn't happen very often, even in Acts. But once there on the right road, notice it's not another angelic encounter, but something much more common and relatable that, that actually directs Philip over to this particular chariot. And that is the inner leading of the Holy Spirit. Verse 29, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. And this chariot and its occupant as well, they, they no doubt looked both impressive and strange to Philip, very unusual. On board this chariot is a man who's neither from Jerusalem or even Samaria, but who has come from much further afield. And he's now returning home from his annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem, back home all the way down to Ethiopia. And this is a man of high status. He's a minister, we're told, in charge of the royal treasury of Ethiopia. This is like the, the Ethiopian equivalent of the Chancellor of the Exchequer. And his carriage would have reflected that in its prestige and its ornateness, as would his clothing. And so Philip, just as we might, may well have been feeling, you know, when we encounter people who seem very different to us, he may well have seen the chariot and thought to himself, well, this, this can't be the person God's brought me here to speak to. No, 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 this, this can't be the one. Look at me, I'm a dusty and dirty Jerusalem refugee. Who am I to approach such a strange and wealthy and prestigious person? Someone who's so visibly different from me. No, I, I must be here for some other reason, perhaps he was thinking. But then, with the chariot in view, he hears the Spirit say to him, go over and join this chariot. And Philip, though he may well have wrestled, I'm sure, in fact, with all of the same fears and doubts that we often do, he was open to the Spirit's leading. He was looking for a window of opportunity that God might be giving him. He was listening for the Holy Spirit's prompting, sensitive to the voice of the Spirit within him. Which presents us with a question. Are we open to the Spirit's leading? As he stirs, directs, and nudges us towards particular people. Now, it's not, of course, that we have to feel led to share the gospel with someone in order to do it. The Great Commission, where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, that's, that's warrant enough for us to share it with everyone and anyone. Yet at the same time, we can and we should pray for divine appointments and God-ordained opportunities to pray that God would particularly lead us to those whose hearts, perhaps, he's already preparing for the seed of the gospel. And then having prayed for such encounters, we should be open to the Spirit's prompting, listening for his voice ourselves looking for a door of opportunity and trusting that when one presents itself, trusting it's probably from him. 
whether we're sitting at a bus stop or in a coffee shop, shopping at Lidl or Sainsbury's or your favourite supermarket, having lunch with a colleague or opening the door to the postman, arriving home to see the neighbour putting the bins out or being stopped in the street by a stranger asking for directions, we are probably presented every day with very real, many very real opportunities to engage people in the beginnings of a gospel conversation. I also think, and I think many of you will agree with me, we experience the Spirit's leading and prompting far more often than we realise. The problem is we're often so caught up in our own plans and projects that we're not listening carefully enough to hear him. Or at least I know that's often my problem. And it's hard, isn't it, in the busyness of life, rushing from one thing to the next, to be open to the fact that the Spirit might actually be telling us to stop and engage on a deeper level with a particular person. But if we long to be more like Philip and we long to have more fruitful conversations, we need to be looking and listening for God's direction. We need to be looking for everyday opportunities to step out in faith and begin a conversation, perhaps a God-ordained, God-prompted conversation with unsaved people. That's the first thing, the first encouragement we see here this morning. Philip was ready to be led to particular people. Secondly, we see that Philip was ready to start a conversation. Look at verse 30. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? Uh, now Luke doesn't tell us what uh, Philip's various strengths and weaknesses were in evangelism, but one strength that's really obvious here is that when he felt God's leading or when he saw an opportunity, he didn't hesitate. In verse 27, we're told he immediately rose and went to the place that the angel of the Lord was directing him. In, in an instant, he drops everything that's going on in Samaria to begin this 100-mile journey south without hesitation. And our, in this account, in this story, our attention, isn't it, is often drawn to the fact that after this encounter with the eunuch, he seems to be literally teleported away somewhere else. And that's the bit that kind of grabs us and gets our attention. But he, he certainly wasn't teleported the first time around, down to the desert road to meet the eunuch. No, he had to set out on foot on an arduous multi-day journey, but still he didn't hesitate to set out in the right direction. He's very much a contrast to the story of Jonah, where God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, and, and Jonah's also very quick to respond. He doesn't hesitate, but he makes swiftly in the opposite direction as fast as he can. Jonah runs, but Philip doesn't hesitate to go. And then when Philip gets there and hears the Spirit telling him to go over and join the chariot, again, he doesn't hesitate. He literally runs over to meet the man on board. He doesn't hesitate when he knows the Lord is leading him to do something or leading him to talk to someone. But me, I hesitate continually. Here's a little window into what goes on in my head in these sorts of instances. Um, no, no, I, I couldn't possibly go and speak to that person, Lord. I don't have the time. They won't have the time. They, they'll think I'm weird. I'll think I'm weird. I won't know what to say and neither will they. It'll be so awkward. And the more we hesitate, the more it becomes a habit to hesitate until we find ourselves comfortably resting in a state of perpetual hesitation. 
Maybe we find ourselves having got to the point where now we, we, we pretend we haven't sensed the Spirit's prompting or we haven't seen a God-given opportunity or, or maybe we, we're so habitually ignoring those things that we don't even know they're there at all anymore. But Philip, as I say, he has clearly got into the habit of not hesitating. He makes an immediate beeline over to the Ethiopian eunuch. And then he starts a conversation. Rather than hesitate, he initiates. He goes over and speaks to this man. Apparently, the the famous 19th century evangelist D.L. Moody once made a, a promise, a covenant with God, that he would witness for Christ to at least one person every single day. But one night at about 10 o'clock, he realized he'd not yet witnessed. And so he went out into the street and spoke to a man standing by a lamppost, asking him, are you a Christian? Well, the man, he flew into a violent rage and threatened to knock Moody down into the gutter. But three months later, Moody was awakened one night by a man knocking at the door, and it was the same man he'd witnessed to. I want to talk to you about my soul, he said to Moody. And he apologized for the way that he treated Moody and said that he had had no peace ever since that night. Moody led the man to Christ and he himself became a passionate gospel teacher. I read another story this week of a man named Bill. One cold January evening in Chicago, Bill was hurrying to take out the garbage. Uh, We call it the rubbish. And in his rush, he hadn't even bothered to put on his shoes. And his plan was just to drag the bin out there as quickly as possible and, and then run back in before his feet froze. And if we can't relate to anything else this morning, uh, some of us who are responsible for putting the bins out can maybe relate to this, the strange attire that we've rushed to put on to get those bins out quickly. And as he started tiptoeing quickly down the driveway, however, he noticed that his new neighbor was taking the bins out as well. Well, Bill didn't think much of it. He parked his own bin at the curb and started to sprint back up the driveway as he'd planned. But then he sensed the spirit compelling him. Go walk across the cul-de-sac and introduce yourself to that guy. He said, oh, it's it's cold, God. My toes are freezing off. I'm sure he's cold too. I, I don't have the time. I'll do it another time. Nonetheless, Bill couldn't get any peace about his plan to rush back into his warm house. And so somewhat reluctantly, he walked across the cul-de-sac and said something like, Hi, I'm Bill, your neighbor from across the street. Welcome to the neighborhood. Nice to meet you. I'm so-and-so, the neighbor replied. I own the new car dealership. And after that, both men pivoted and returned to their respective homes. But here's where it gets interesting. On every Tuesday night for the next year, Bill and that neighbor took out the rubbish at the same time. And every night, through the prompting of the Spirit, Bill stopped to chat with him. Over time, through their conversations around the rubbish bins, the men became close friends. And eventually, Bill led this man and his family to faith in Christ. I found that so encouraging that in the mundaneness of putting the rubbish out each week, And at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, Bill had this weekly divine appointment with his neighbor. And the teller of that story then continued. He says, do you have a neighbor you've been meaning to visit or a new co-worker you've intended to engage in conversation? Do you have a gift you've been thinking about giving to the struggling family down the street? 
Is there someone in your school who continues to be on your mind and heart? If so, it could be that God is up to something. You, like Philip, may have a chariot waiting for you. So what is it that Philip and D.L. Moody and Bill all have in common? They're three very different people from different times with different callings and giftings. But each one of them, here's what they have in common. Each one of them was open to God leading them to particular people. And when he did so, they didn't hesitate to actually go and initiate a conversation. And in each case, their willingness simply to start a conversation led in the end to life-changing outcomes for the people that they were speaking to. But what if we feel unable to approach someone? What if we're nervous? What if we're an introvert? What if we're simply not good at striking up a conversation? Well, I heard someone say recently, if the Holy Spirit leads you into a conversation, you can be sure he'll lead you through a conversation, even if you fumble it. We step into these conversations with confidence not in ourselves, but wholly in God. Independence on the Spirit, which really is better by far than than having the gift of the gab or being a wonderful conversationalist. What matters most in these encounters is not great wisdom, eloquence or a commanding presence. What matters most is our simply being open to God's leading and open to being used by him to reach other people. But notice one more thing about Philip's readiness to go and speak. Before we move on to our third and final heading this morning, one more thing here. Even with the Holy Spirit's prompting to go over and speak to whoever's on this chariot, Philip doesn't just barge on in with, well, hey, you, you know, the Holy Spirit, he sent me over here to give you a message. So you better sit still, buckle up and listen to me now. I'm going to give you my 10 minute gospel presentation. No, he he recognizes this is a real human being I'm approaching. This is a person, an individual person. He takes in what the man is doing. He sees he's reading, or he hears he's reading. And then he begins, as Jesus himself so often did, not with a statement of truth, but a question. Verse 30, do you understand what you're reading? And it's that question that leads into our third and final heading this morning, Ready to talk about Jesus. Because here's what happens next. Philip asks the man, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31, and the man says to him, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Just look at this opportunity that God has set up for Philip. This man in the chariot, as we said, he was an official from the Ethiopian royal courts. He was a eunuch. He's also already a God-fearing man. He's a serious seeker. 
Philip didn't know that as he was approaching the chariot, but he, that's what he discovers, a, a serious seeker. We know that because he's traveled 200 miles from his home to Jerusalem to worship there, and now he's coming away, heading home, but he's still confused and unsatisfied. He's searching the scriptures, and there are things he needs answers for. And then all of a sudden, this voice comes from below the chariot. Do you understand what you're reading? And he responds, how can I unless someone guides me? This man is hungry to hear. Philip is willing to share the final vital ingredient that's now needed in this this kind of beautiful plan is that Philip would actually be able to tell him about Jesus and explain what the passage means. But just imagine for a moment if Philip wasn't able to do that. Imagine... If Philip had obeyed the angel, he'd traveled all this way, he'd arrived on the desert road, he'd been listening and open to the Spirit's leading, he'd approached this man's carriage, he'd, he'd initiated the conversation, asked him a question, heard the man's need for understanding, only for Philip finally to turn around and say, actually, I don't know. I don't know enough about the gospel to explain what this means. That would be a disastrous end, wouldn't it, to this long chain of divinely ordained events. But fortunately, that's not what happens here. Because Philip is able, not to necessarily explain the whole Bible, but he's able to point him to Jesus from Isaiah 53. Perhaps the man, this man has been drawn to this chapter out of a particular personal vested interest. Maybe his visit to Jerusalem had only served to remind him of his own spiritual uncleanness before God. You see, especially as a eunuch, he'd only have been allowed to enter into the very outer courts of the temple at best. But here now he's found a passage in Isaiah that points to someone one day coming to deal with all that separates all of us from God. Someone who would take upon himself our sins, take upon himself our uncleanness. Someone who would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Someone who would come and die in our place for our sins so that we might be forgiven and receive mercy and be allowed to enter in. But this man, he is left with a burning question. Who is Isaiah speaking about? What is his name? Who is he pointing to? And maybe underneath that question, an even deeper one. Tell me, who is it that can save me? And Philip, praise God, from personal experience, knows the answer. Beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip begins to talk to him about Jesus, to share and explain this life-giving good news. And again, Philip's example here is given to help us. And I think we can draw from this three S's to help us in our witness. Or at least I see here three S's to help us in these conversations, to help us to witness. First of all, the first S, start where they're at. Philip starts from where this man's immediate concerns are at. In this case, it's a particular biblical question. But it could just as easily be a much more mundane, everyday kind of thing, like Bill and his conversation with his neighbors over the dustbins. It's important that we engage with people where they're at. Our opening question won't often be, hey, do you understand that Bible verse that I see you reading? More likely, it's going to be a simple, how are you doing today? 
Are you enjoying the weather? That's very British. Uh, have you got much on? Can I ask what you're reading or watching at the moment? How did that thing go that you had on last week? Or how's your wife's knee? You told me she'd, she'd hurt it recently. Or is there anything I can do to help out at the moment? From there, starting where the person is at, we can begin to look for ways, secondly, to steer towards Jesus. And having got the conversation going, this, of course, is often the hardest next step. But it's also the most important one, and it's the one we need to keep our sights set upon. Because ultimately, for our conversations to bear saving fruit, we need to find ways to point people to Jesus. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. And, and as I think about this, I, I think about my two barbers. Okay, Now, I have two barbers. It's not because I have like crazy hair and need two at once, but there happens to be two of them, and you never know who you're going to get. But they're both great. And uh, I was keen to get back to my barbers after COVID, uh, and not just because I was cutting my own hair and it didn't look good, but also because I, I felt God had very much put them on my heart over the years to find opportunities to witness to them. And every time I'm in there, I, I go to great efforts to engage these two guys in conversation about all manner of things. I, I've kind of resolved, I, I, it's quite easy for me to be a silent customer, but I've resolved I'm not going to be a silent customer I know that conversation is, the, is a great first step to witnessing. But the hardest part has undoubtedly been then steering that conversation towards Jesus and trying to begin topics of conversation or maybe find questions to ask them that would allow me to share about him. And, I, and I've had the beginnings of those kind of conversations at various times, but I've, I felt very much convicted and, and encouraged by this passage this week about the need to move forward and be even more intentional in getting my conversations with them there. But Philip, we might think, well, he started out with a distinct advantage, didn't he? Come on, let's be honest. The, the Ethiopian man was already asking about Jesus. But even though that's true, notice that even Philip doesn't just settle for telling him one thing about Jesus. Beginning with that one truth, he's able to springboard from it into sharing many more truths about Jesus as well. And so wherever our conversations might begin or wherever they're at right now, we too should be looking and praying for ways to springboard into sharing something more about Jesus. Looking for natural ways that we can maybe link him to the topic of conversation or link him to the other person's situation. And maybe that's often by even asking more questions about what they believe or what they're hoping for this year or this life or whether they know much about Christianity. We're trying to steer them all the time, steer the conversation towards Jesus. And the third and final thing we see Philip do is to actually show them the scriptures, to show them the Bible. There is power in actually sharing God's words with people showing them and exploring with them what God himself has said. When you think about it, looking in on this chariot, this, this is a beautifully simple evangelistic strategy that's on display here. What we find is quite simply one man sitting alongside another man doing a Bible study. Philip talking to this man warmly, kindly, patiently, with Bible in hand about Jesus. Again, the vast majority of our conversations, they don't begin here, but it's important to remember we want to get here eventually. 
to somehow bring the person we're speaking to, um, whether it's the first encounter or the 101st encounter, to a place of hearing what the Bible says about Jesus. And that, we might do that through remembering a few choice gospel-centered verses to, to, to put into conversation, to just drop in at a good, a good moment, or maybe by inviting them along to church or inviting them to a Christianity Explored course to look at Mark's gospel, or maybe inviting them to meet with us regularly one-to-one over a coffee to read John's gospel. And we could use the, the brilliant word one-to-one books, which are designed for exactly that purpose, just to say to someone, hey, have you ever, you ever looked at the Bible? Have you ever wondered what's in there or what it has to say about life? Or um, I, there's something that's really changed my life, and I'd love to share it with you, or I'd love to show you where I found it. Would you fancy coming and having a look at it with me? How about meeting with me for a coffee from time to time or once a week and reading this little book, John's Gospel, with me? That's the kind of invitation we might issue. However we do it, we're looking for ways to steer every person we meet and every conversation we have ultimately to Jesus and what God himself has said about him. In much the same way that Spurgeon used to talk about preaching. I'm sure you've heard this before. He said, preach Jesus Christ, brothers, always and everywhere. And every time you preach, be sure to have much of Jesus Christ in the sermon. Do you not know that from every little town and village and tiny hamlet in England, there is a road leading to London? Whenever I get hold of a text, I say to myself, there is a road from here to Jesus Christ, and I mean to keep on his track till I get to him. And I just thought this week, wouldn't it be good to say the same about our everyday conversations? That in every conversation, somewhere there is a road to get to Jesus, and we mean to keep on his track till we get to him. Well, as we draw things to a close this morning, this chapter ends with a most encouraging outcome. A reminder that when we set our sights simply on telling people about Jesus, some of the people we talk to will come to believe the good news and be saved and transformed by it now and forevermore. Look at verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, this is the bit I know we're all waiting for, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. But here's actually one of the best bits. The eunuch went on his way rejoicing, a newfound joy in having met and trusted the Saviour. Verse 40, but Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So Philip continues to spread the good news. When we look for ways to tell others about Jesus, we can and should expect God to work. Before we get there, when we get there, and once we've left. Because ultimately, it's we who are participating in his work not the other way around. This is his work. He is the one who is mighty and merciful and passionate to save. The Holy Spirit is the one who is able to arrest people's attention, plant 
questions in their hearts and ultimately open their blind eyes to see and trust in Jesus, even when we're the ones that the Spirit is using to very falteringly pass on the message to them. God, let's go home believing this this morning. God can do amazing things through even the simplest and most ordinary believer who is ready to just look and listen for his prompting, ready to go and start conversations, and ready to share something of the saving message of Jesus. God is faithful to do it, and he has promised that his word will not return to him empty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you can do amazing things through our everyday conversations. And Lord, that's not because of anything in us, but because of everything that's in you, because of your great heart of mercy towards sinners, and because of your gospel's mighty power to save. Oh Lord, we pray, fill us again this morning with your spirit. Fill us with your gospel and fill us with your compassion for the lost. May our fears be no match for those things. Lord, lead us to people we pray. Give us the words to start everyday conversations and help us to speak about Jesus. And through our humble witness, we pray, draw many more people to saving faith in Christ. In Jesus' name and for your glory, we pray. Amen.